0: Today on Pop Vulture, we're talking comic books, comic books, comic Comic books.
1: books. I'm not talking loud enough, is that problem? They made him take pills. supposed to shrink inside his package.
0: Welcome to another edition of Pop Vulture. I'm your host, Aaron Jerome. With me today, as always, is that other guy who goes by the name of...
1: I'm not quite sure what my name is, but um, today you can call me... My favorite character, Spawn. John Spawn Jerome.
0: Yeah, that's a terrible choice. I'm just going to (laughs) go, I'm going to call you John today. (laughs) Whatever you want, buddy. Uh, Today we're going to go with our first installment of what we like to call our evolution of characters and comic books and movies throughout pop culture history. Today we're going to start with a general, just comics. We're going to take a look at some of the things that we enjoyed as kids, some of the things that we didn't enjoy as kids, and some things that were way before us, and they were when our grandparents were kids.
1: Exactly, because we kind of want to go, just briefly, because we're not going to delve too much into it, but through the Golden Age, into the Silver Age, and kind of the modern age, and how we kind of got to where we are now in comics in general. You know what I mean?
0: Well, let's start with, for you and me, um, our first experiences with comics. Like, I'm not going to pretend like, These other people who are like, I know exactly where I was, when I was, what comic it was, how much money I had in my pocket, and what I had for lunch that day the first
1: time I read one. Right, exactly. I mean, uh, I guess in my idea, like a comic is a magazine and all that, which brings me, you know, my first real magazine comic that I ever read was the Playboy with Madonna in it because I found it under my father's bed um, when I was about five. No? (laughs) No, no, there's there's comics in the back of those, I'm only kidding. I'm only kidding. For me, personally... um, I really go back to when you and I were younger and we were collecting the cards, all the Marvel cards that they had and the DC cards and all that, maybe early 90s, late 80s, the cartoons from when we were kids, Spider-Man and his Amazing Friends, which um, was one of the first real comic book things I got to see as a kid that I loved, even though the show going back is complete garbage. Um, <laughs> am I right, though?
0: Uh, not not good. Not good at all.
1: Right. And for us, you know, because I'm 38, you're 37.
0: Not yet. It was... You're not 37 yet? No, not yet. 36. Oh,
1: you'll be 37 later... This next month. Wow, spoilers. Yeah, spoilers. <laughs> I know, right? Um, anyway, for me... And, you know, and then we go in kind of into the early 90s with the cartoons of the X-Men and all the Marvel things that were coming out at that time.
0: Yeah, I want to say for me my first comic book was a Ninja Turtle comic book. Well, that would be a complete lie. I would say so. Yeah, absolutely complete lie. You know, it's, it's nice to have that thought in my head, but... I, I'm certain that my first comic book would have been like a Superman, you know, one of those crappy Supermans from the '80s. Yeah, we, he's got the long hair and he's, you know, just one of the guys. We just, had a lot yeah. of those
1: hanging around the house back in the day. The uh, truth, justice, American way. Yeah, you know, the comic
0: that always sticks in my head that I think of as like the earliest, and I think it's one that you you probably got down at Matt Sports Plus. <laughs> um, Shout out! It was the superhero Prime. Remember, he was like he sort of looked like Hyperion, kind of looked like Shazam, just a total ripoff of everything. And we were so excited to have it because it was the number one. We were like, "This is going to be worth millions. This is going to be the next action comics." And I don't even know the name of it now.
1: I think it was Prime. So, uh, who made that though? Maybe Valiant. Or some somebody who shouldn't have one, one of just, those. Yeah, but it was one of those ones that. You know, that's early 90s stuff right there. That, that And that goes to the whole, which we'll get to eventually, is the image thing. And, you know, the writers kind of striking off to make their own stuff. And Image, to me, was one of the biggest influences when I was younger on my liking of comics. I loved Image Comics. You know, Spawn. Spawn was, is my favorite character of all time. Um, the storylines were so amazing. That's kind of what really solidified me as, like, a super comic fan at that time, you know?
0: Yeah, so comic books, though... Go way back before that, so f- I've done this stupid research, and I've watched these serials, and I've read some of the pulps. you know you go back to those dime novels from the, the turn of the century mm-hmm. and every time I think of these like pulp magazines, you like, I think of pulp fiction, which I know I shouldn't, well, but be- everybody
1: does, and that's where the term comes from, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, well, the term pulp comes from you know the material that they used to make the books because it was just it was ju- junk paper.
1: Well, let's just off track real quick. Do you prefer pulp or no pulp? Um, depends. Is it a mimosa or is it just a glass of orange juice? You see, I get that because in a mimosa, I don't want any pulp. but in a glass of orange juice, I love a little bit of pulp. What about you?
0: I like a little bit of pulp. I like fresh squeeze. So you can't have fresh squeeze without pulp. So you like it a pulp? I like it a pulp. You
1: like it a pulp. All right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but if it's a mimosa, no, no pulp. So you drink mimosas? <laughs> Who doesn't? Uh, me. Why not? I'll go with a bloody. Thank you. You know what I mean? Because to me, like a mimosa is like, what's the point? It's not doing anything for me, you know what I mean? Oh, I'm sorry. I just drink because I enjoy the taste of it, not because I'm trying to get drunk. Yeah, see, I'm I'm not with you on that one, okay? If I if I drank to enjoy the taste, I probably would never get drunk because it's not I mean, beer's decent, especially craft beer, but it's not something I want to get drunk on. I think I mean that's kind of, I understand what you're talking about there. If I sit down and eat a meal or a burger, I don't mind having a couple of IPAs, but I want to get drunk on them.
0: No, but also, if I'm having a, a mimosa, it's at like 9.30 in the morning on Sunday, don't really want to start getting drunk at 9 o'clock in the
1: morning, on any day, really. You can always nap at 1, you're back up by 3, you're back at the bar by 3.30, you haven't even brushed your teeth, you know? I'm going to go back to being 36,
0: (laughs) not 19, and (laughs) in college. Well, actually, for me, it wasn't 19 in college, but there are people who were in college at 19. Oh, for sure. No, I I can't do the day drinking if I start at 9 o'clock. I'll be passed out, and I have too many responsibilities. Oh, I'm such a day drinker. I love it. But anyway, back to Pulp Magazine. Oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> that's <laughs> what we were talking about. We were talking yeah, about yeah. comic books. Yep. Yeah, go ahead. Um, I don't know if you ever had the opportunity to watch the brilliant movie by Alec Baldwin
1: called The Shadow. mm Oh, it was horrible. No, I never did. Um, it just, you know, did it... Why did you even watch it? Did it appeal to you in any way? It goes
0: back to the thing of me working at a movie store. So you just sort of just consumed all of it. You like, I, yep And now I would go back and watch that, no problem, because I love Alec Baldwin. But he is what I consider to be like the first real superhero. He's one of the ones. Him and Doc Shadow are the two that sort of come back and forth between being like the first. They start out with the serials. They do like the Shadow. I think the reason I like the Shadow now, in hindsight, is he's so much Batman.
1: Now, yeah, I, now I get that. I mean, you know, Bob Kane definitely. Uh, It was totally derivative of The Shadow. But do you have any idea when those kind of started? Are we early 1900s on this? So The Shadow starts... Because I see you didn't put it in the notes. Well, this is spoilers. (laughs) This is my show, not yours. This is my area. (laughs) This is what I like.
0: Uh, The Shadow comes out in 1930. He starts out... The cool story with him is uh, he starts out as a radio show. And he's part of this, this whole thing where they're like trying to put some... Um, the detective story hour—I think they called it—was like they want to put a bunch of different stories together, and they put on a host to like sort of go be the in between between the different stories. And people were like, "Great, we don't actually want the stories; we want the host to be, have his own story." So they come out and they do—they um, turn that host into his own show. So the the guy who was the host who was just supposed to be like this thing as a go between is now getting his own show and the thing that I like best about it is the person who does the voice is Orson Welles Oh really Yeah and if you don't know Orson Welles from the Mercury Theater production and if you've never listened to War of the Worlds it's phenomenal just take away modern and modern sort of sensibility to it and bear in mind that um, if you were listening to this there's like four or five times in the evenings broadcast the entire evening where he mentions that it's a production of the Mercury Theater Company, but other than that, they play it normal. So they do the entire evening where it's like, oh, this breaking, you know, and they go go to the guy who's out in the field in upstate New York and they're hearing all the the sounds, and then they go back to all right, that's it, and then they like playing the dance music that they normally do. It's,
1: War of the Worlds. Yeah. Oh yeah. Awesome. yeah, yeah. <laughs> that that caused a mass panic. Um, Oh, that was fantastic. It's a well-known story. For what, that was like late thirties, though, wasn't it? That's what is that? That's like thirty-nine, I
0: think. Right. But the idea—it's the same guy who does that, who voices um, Lamont Cranston. So that, that was one of my favorite stories from him. And it, it always, when I heard it, it made me think of like, that's what I want to do. I want to trick people. You know, I want to make sure that I'm doing it. Um, but back to the shadow. So the shadow—it's um, really when they start doing. A difference in characters so you have the serials before that you know little dime novels and the pulp things but here now they have uh, someone in print and then someone who is on radio and there's a difference between the characters you know we we see it now and we're like oh my god why did they do that you know when sam raimi decided to give spider-man organic web shooters it was like holy shit what the fuck are you doing you're ruining my character you're taking away one of the great strengths of peter parker right he's supposed to be a scientist right
1: and that's why he created that and all of a sudden it's organic it didn't bother me that much, honestly, at the time. I know it bothered a lot of comic book fans. Oh, it killed me. Because it, it's an essential element of the character that you're changing. It shouldn't. Like, what? who cares? I didn't feel like it held any weight in the movies, though, like where it made any difference in how it would affect the stories. It didn't. But when you heard it, you know, because you
0: hear about it first, and then you're like, wow, what are they going to do? Well, obviously, they're not going to need it. There's not going to be 95 different stories where spider Man's going to have to use his scientific prowess to get out of it. It's one story. Uh, next uh i'd say we go john carter of mars did you ever watch that film uh what is it it's like
1: 2012 it comes out um i've tried i know it was a big flop from disney and it Um, sucked yeah and i yeah i've I've given it a shot a couple times because you know you've seen everything else he's like i'll give john carter a shot again and it's terrible so like you know i don't have a lot to say about john carter Oh, well, he's he's one of the originals. He's like The Shadow, same kind of, same yeah. time here.
0: Yeah, you've got, you got like Tarzan, too, coming on the radio. Um, so it's all of the things that we know now sort of get their origins
1: from back then. Now, but the pulp magazines go back to the late 1800s, right? Early yeah, Early the, 1900s? Yeah,
0: just before the turn of the century is when they do that. It's cheap, you know. They, they did the dime novel, so it was easy. It was an aggregate of, of information for people to have and buy.
1: And, of course, you know, all newspapers back then would have a big Sunday where they'd have all the, the, the funnies, they'd call them the funnies, and you'd get, you know, a big spread of, of uh, comic strips. And comic strips were a big deal back then. And the creators of those comic strips even kind of became celebrities themselves, along with their characters. Well, if you, if you look
0: at what was going on, like, I mean, just take the context of the world at large. You know, if we're, we're in this really gray, drab world, right? World
1: War I, Prohibition... Depression. Well, we, we start to go back even earlier. You go to the Spanish-American War. Mm-hmm.
0: Then you get World War I. Then you get the Great Depression. And people just need some sort of release. You know, we don't quite... We have films, but they're not quite... We don't have the Nickelodeons just yet. You but know, we but are just getting talkies. Yes. Yes. <laughs> We're getting talkies. Nice. We're also getting things like Birth of a Nation. So mm-hmm. not a lot of upbeat, spirited stuff. And the one thing for kids would have been the funnies. You know, you get these nice stories that... Um, are sort of self-contained, but then you get things like Doc Savage and The Shadow, where they're um, a, a serialized version. So week to week to week. I think you know the term "to be continued" is allegedly you know coined back in like '02 for a comic strip. That's 1902.
1: I was gonna that- say really because I mean that's um, something you would get every single week or something in the paper. So it is. Every time it's to be continued. That's why it's called a serial. Well, you'd have the you had the major um, news syndicates who are just
0: sort of pushing out weekly, weekly, weekly um, issues and stories, and they sold them. Kids wanted them, and then they so they take those and they put them all together, and then they sell them as one book of previously
1: published you know funnies or comic strips. That's really where comic books get its start. And one thing to note from that time is that printing is in like it's its golden age, you know. There are so many papers in production back then. So many affiliates making papers and I mean it, it's, it's at the height really of the the print industry, which is obviously now not really much at all, but at that time and that helps it become so popular.
0: Yeah, it's the only way that people can get information. Exactly. I mean, we have the radio but then the radio isn't national. In some ways it is, You sometimes you can hear a boxing match, you could listen to a ball game, but even your ball games weren't nationally syndicated. You still had you know East Coast radio, West Coast radio, but when you have a syndicated show or you have a syndicated news that goes to everybody, you can say, all right, we're gonna sort of re-identify what pop culture is. Now people start to experience it together. You know, Before that, pop culture used to be an individual experience. Right, you know, you would go on your own. Me and you would go, and we'd listen to the to the ball game. Now we queue in the 1930s, and pop culture becomes a universal experience. And really, it's the birth of pop culture in itself, where you can say, "Hey, did you hear that? Or did you see that? And, you know, the answer or did you is read yeah. that? Yeah, yeah. The answer is yes, and we all did it together. Or we didn't do it together, but it felt like we did it together because we all had that same shared experience in the theater or reading that newspaper. And, you
1: know, that's just the beginning of us all coming together and networking and all the information, and look where it brought us now. Yeah. We, <laughs> we're all happy, right? We all hate each other. No one's arguing about anything. But a- So after that, this is when we get into uh, Siegel & Schuster. Yeah. 1938-ish. Well, yeah, we have in, – in, Well, Siegel & Schuster,
0: they start their thing in, like, I don't know – 33 34 35 in that area you know when they're in high school they're still pushing it you know I think there are two kids from Cleveland who are trying to send out their comic book their Uberman or their Superman to um, different publishers and they shopped it around and nobody wanted it no one wanted it Yep. and then they get um, they get lucky because they got pulled from the rejects to publish it because they needed content. Exactly, and they were like, "All right, well, we rejected these. Let's find out from the reject file."
1: And they were the best of the worst, I guess. And they <laughs> came up with Superman, and I, th- I believe they got paid like one hundred and thirty dollars for Superman, and then didn't get a dime after that. Like because back then, if you're a writer and you create something, you're literally paid by the page, and you sell the pro- you know you sell that first one, and that's it. They own the copyright. Company owns everything else, and it was years and years and years before they ever got money. Uh, from Superman in general, yeah, they don't get anything. You exactly,
0: know, they they, go, they sue DC Comics a couple in the seventies. Couple yeah, times, right? Know. But
1: I think in the seventies is when they finally got their settlement, where they, got, they it's um, like ninety thousand dollars or something, and health benefits, and all. Yeah, full health for their family as well. But I mean, still, yeah, that's the. This is when the Superman movie comes out. Actually, is when they finally got their. their you know, they just do. Even they're in their sixties at this time, but in thirty-eight they create Superman, and Superman basically. Changes everything.
0: Oh yeah, he, he gets huge. He goes from, you know, it started out as All Star Comics. And was it
1: All Star? Was it national?
0: No, it was All Star. Well, his book was, right? I don't know. It I'm was action really comics. Sure. I think it was All Star was the brand, but I could be wrong. Th- that part's irrelevant. The idea is though, he comes out
1: and then immediately gets his own book. Well, exactly. Nobody had their own book. You know, he gets his own what is it, once a month back then it was coming out? As yeah, well, a month for ten year. cents?
0: Yeah, and it was it was different too because it was a significantly more uh, larger book. Where like nowadays, comic books are what twenty three pages give or take. I know that you know if you add advertisements into it, he gets it, and it's sixty four pages. Wow! So these two guys are pumping out sixty four pages.
1: Now is this? Are we talking Superman one now? Well, let's go back to Action Comics. Cause first. Cause he, before, he he appears in Action Comics first.
0: Right. So if if you've never read Action Comics, you don't really need to. It's not really that exciting. But you the thing that's interesting about it is that in that particular story, it's three separate sort of events. So he goes through he first he he saves that that person from death row who's like wrongfully accused. Then oh, yeah, yeah, he
1: does He does a ton of things in that book. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's crazy. He does, like, four or five, like, wow, this guy's all over the place. So like,
0: just throwing everything at him. Like, you know what, we're going to save the guy from death row. Then we're going to actually find the real murderer and get them in jail. Then we're going to go, and you know what we're going to do? We're going to expose a lobbyist. Right. Which now, is totally irrelevant now.
1: Um, which, did, is one of them the writer as well, Siegel and Schuster? I assume one of them usually the artist, the other one's the writer, right? Never even
0: considered. The only thing I like about them is that Jerry Siegel's real name is Jerome. Yes, and I know. That, yeah, I love that. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think know. that's a great name. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Call me
1: crazy. Um, because I, you know, I find that interesting that in the Action Comics he did so many different things. And like you know, like Aaron said, you don't need to read Action Comics if you have that copy. You can just send it to um, Gloucester, Massachusetts. We'll take that because it's really not worth anything. It's just garbage. <laughs>
0: Yeah, if you're doing any demo and you find any old comic books hidden in the wall,
1: maybe they were used for insulation. Exactly. You know,
0: just send them our way. You know what we'll do? We'll credit you. <laughs> we'll we'll credit you.
1: We'll credit your Patreon and uh, you'll be all right. But uh, anyway, so in 38, they come up with Superman in action comics. And, it, you know, this literally kicks off the golden age of comics, the, the first age of comics with the superhero um, kind of format and formula that. We still kind of see today And I'm not sure when Superman 1 itself came out though. It's a year later So it's going to be So it's 39 39 yeah so Okay It gets
0: about a year later Which is normal for that time Because it's not like today Where you get instant numbers To find out if the book's successful Right So you got to wait Until you get the, the numbers or The quarterlies or Whatever they called them And say alright Now we can order our own book Right uh, The same thing happens With uh, another character Batman Who
1: appears in 39
0: 39, yep, yep, and Detective Comics 23, I believe. Number, hashtag something.
1: Yeah, again,
0: <laughs> if you have that one, send it to us. We'll verify that it's the first one. Yes, and we'll let you know if it's worth anything. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, he, same idea with, with Batman. Batman comes out at the same time. Uh, Wonder Woman comes out at the same time. She does. Yeah, so you got got um, Batman 39 created by Bill Finger. I love it. <laughs> I, mean, I, don't, I don't know about you, but I love Bill Finger.
1: Well, I mean, I, I I don't know if we'll get to that documentary, but that Bill Finger documentary, if you haven't seen it, what's it called, Batman and Bill? Yeah. And it's on Amazon Prime, right? It's, it's on Prime now. It's, can... it's it's Even if you're not into comic books, like, you know, I'm sitting there watching. I'm watching it with people who don't like comic books. They were still riveted by it. That documentary is... I, Total thumbs up for me.
0: Yeah, say, I agree. Watch it the wife. Wife was like, oh, you should watch that again. I was like, that's a great, awesome, We should watch it again. Let's Absolutely. watch it again. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, great, great book. But you also, with him, you have Batman. And then you have Wonder Woman, who Wonder Woman has a great origin story, not quite as interesting as Bob Kane stealing from Bill Finger. Um, William Moulton Marston. Um, he is a uh, psychologist, we'll call him, who decides that um, the comic book medium isn't reaching its full potential, so he comes up with a character. Um, some other things that William Moulton Maris... Maris oh, my gosh. let us We'll call him WMM from now on. Uh, let's call him Mr. Marston. <laughs> Mr. Marston. Uh, he also comes up with the polygraph. I don't know if you can oh, see we that. In-
1: I, I see... From what I saw, he claimed he came up with the polygraph. There was no uh, verification that maybe he did or he didn't. Well, he took the test, and it was inconclusive. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter. You made it, right? <laughs> Whatever, dude. Yeah, so that's a great one. Um, and now this is, uh, this is, this is DT, uh, DC Comics back then, which I'd like to mention, but they're not called DC Comics at the time.
0: No, it's not DC Comics at the time. DC Comics is um, something that comes around after. right? Which is Detective Comics. Which they take Batman and they wow this is the best character ever. Screw you, Superman. Don't need you. Wonder Woman. <laughs> don't need you. We're going with the deck. You comic. know, I gotta
1: give you Batman is far better. I'm I'm not a big Superman fan. Um, I, I do love him and I do I put him on my top ten simply for his impact. But he's not my favorite. He's he, he's just he's completely impervious. You know what I mean? He cannot. He can just, like nothing can kill him. So I mean that's the thing I go on on all the time. Batman, another tough one for me. He's probably he's one of the best superheroes ever obviously he has no powers that does kind of irk me a little bit you know I mean can you just give him something so I feel like he could actually do these things
0: like what what kind of power would you want to give him Uh, healing power would be fine with me
1: if he had healing power and you know it's a, a kind of subset power that you know you don't really see would you just make him there'd be a reason why he could do all the things he does you know All
0: right, fine fair enough you know what I'll do I'll call up DC Comics, and I'll make a suggestion.
1: Yeah, and they'll probably fly you out to see The Dark Knight and um, <laughs> give you 20000 bucks and say, Beat it, kid, We don't care what your dad did. <laughs> they definitely don't care what my dad did. Watch, watch Bill and Batman, wow. or Batman and Bill. It's a great one. Read the book, too, if you want. But... Right, so around the same time, um, a, a smaller company called Timely Comics, who would eventually become Marvel, has also got their own characters out there that are doing quite well. Yeah, two ones that you don't care about now. Human and, Torch, right? Which if you know the Human Torch lore, yeah, it's not the same Human so Torch. So he doesn't but he doesn't he ends up becoming Captain America, right? <laughs> he ends up becoming Captain America, right? He does. Human Torch?
0: Yeah. Well,
1: oh, is that just oh, that's the, just in the movie. Just in the movie.
0: <laughs> that's just in real life. Yeah, right. Exactly. He he goes from getting bombarded with cosmic rays to getting hit with uh the Super Soldier Serum. And what are they? Vitamin,
1: Vita Rays? Is that what they call it? Uh, the vitamin D. I don't know. Yeah. You know, I mean, the sun gives you tons of that. But I think the human torch from back then is, it's kind of a different story, right? Different origin. different he's an person. He's an android. Oh, he is? Yeah,
0: yeah. He's not even a person. So he
1: was built. He was built, yeah. Wow.
0: Uh, then you get Submariner. Submariner, who was kind of the first anti hero. And he's one that I. Uh, is it Namor? Namor? I don't. I don't remember how to say it.
1: I would definitely say Namor, um, but I've heard him called Namor. It's kind of like the Han Han thing. We've been through this.
0: Yeah. And anyway, two characters you know that are great, but don't have the same lasting power as as DCs.
1: Not at the time. Now, Submariner. I've heard that they're bringing him back for the movies. I think he's going to be part of the Marvel Universe. Uh, I think so.
0: That would be great because they talk about it in um, Avengers in Endgame. Yeah. Where Shuri is talking about uh, earth, underwater earthquakes, which makes you think it's Atlantis. and You it, know it's, it's a, not Aquaman. It would be great if it was Aquaman. Well, you know, maybe
1: maybe Marvel can do what they did, like what DC did for Aquaman and make Submariner cool. No, they can't. <laughs> <laughs> they can't, like, uh, Jason Momoa or it?
0: No, they can't say, like, wow and, like, thanks for the ride and all that fun stuff.
1: If you can get a badass-looking guy to come and play Submariner... They can make him a badass. DC did it. Marvel can do it. Because Marvel always does it better in the movies nowadays. Well, DC did it because they allowed Aquaman not to be riding
0: water horses.
1: Yeah, we all thought Aquaman was gay. Uh, he was a little bit different than the rest of them. I mean, he certainly was. Um, then you get Captain America. Who is an enduring, amazing character. He is. He's one of my favorites. And the best
0: part about these three here, Human Torch, Submariner, Captain America is they interplay in the comic books um, a bunch. You have uh, Captain America working with Human Torch and Sub-Mariner working with Human Torch at the same time, which is great because it's sort of like crossover with characters coming into other books and
1: doing things, you know, when Captain America is not busy punching Hitler in the throat. Oh, man. And, you know, one thing I do want to bring up about Captain America is the artwork, which is Jack Kirby and... It's it's just so different than everything else that was out at that time. You know, the, the the panel to panel, the pain to pain, like, you know, splashing through and the over-exaggerated, like, punching motion and Hitler, you know, every every little detail there that Kirby pulled out with their faces and, and the swooshes and the lines. I mean, it was brilliant at the time. Well, he's, that's why he
0: is one of the greatest of
1: all time. He really right? is. Jack Kirby is awesome. Even back then. I mean, I'll, leave,
0: I'll even give him the pass for The New Gods. I haven't read The New Gods, but <laughs> I guess it's not good. Uh, I didn't care for it that much, to be honest. It was one of those things where it was like, this is neat. But what happened, though, he starts it, and then it gets canceled on. So he never even gets to fully flesh out his story. So maybe life. it's not his fault. Uh, yeah, it's still his fault. <laughs> I'm going to go with that. Um, and then so ending up the uh, sort of the end of the Golden Age. Well, is, I, think, I think
1: one thing I do want to mention here is that At the height of the war, every book, Captain America, Superman, everybody's fighting Nazis or fighting something for the war. And I think when the war ends, superheroes fall out of favor. You know, people don't need superheroes anymore. They don't feel like they need superheroes anymore. And comics move more into suspense and horror-type comic books, which I think kind of leads us into... Frederick Wortham's book, A Seduction of the Innocents.
0: Yeah, it, so, yeah, what you get out of these, so in, in response sort of to the we don't have Nazis to fight anymore, publishers got to figure out something else. And and you, what you get is you get William Gaines, who comes up with his Tales from the Crypt, right? That's Tales from the, Tales of Terror, Tales of the Crypt, and these
1: really, I, I don't think they're gruesome, but I'm also living in the 21st century. Yeah, because at the time, they were definitely gory and over-the-top for what people had seen before especially in comic books.
0: Yeah, and they're sort of different from what they what everyone was used to, but people loved it. People like to have those comic books. It it breeds people love horror. They love to be shocked.
1: And they were selling good. You know, they were selling real well. That's why it was still in the consciousness of society and when he writes this book, which is a bunch of bullshit by the way. If you know anything about that book, The Seduction of the Innocents, which I haven't read, but I know about it and what it was going for, it it really it, it, it It's such a parallel to the early 90s with the ESRB and scare tactics about games like Mortal Kombat and Night Trap, things like that, because they, they they over-exaggerate things to fit their narrative, which I think is exactly kind of what he did in this book and how it's going to turn your child into a a freak or a killer or a rapist, which is almost like the same thing they did in 93 with the ESRB where they were saying games like Night Trap would make you become a racist. If you've ever played a game like Night Trap, you know that there's nothing going on in that game. It's the worst game ever made, but they overblow it. Same thing with the comic books. If you go back and read those, you know, Tales from the Crypt and stuff, sure, they're they're gory and horrifying, but they're nothing that somebody needed to say, like, oh, this is going to turn my kid into a rapist. You know what I mean?
0: Well, I mean, it it even goes back to the way that that Wortham did his research. So what he did, for the most part, is he went to, like, orphanages. He went to juvenile detention places, you know, where, where kids were in trouble. And go, oh, that kid's reading a comic book. That kid's reading a comic book. Oh, everyone who reads comic books is in here. Yeah, that sort of precludes the other millions of kids who are reading them who aren't on the other side of this. Right. And so he, he falsifies, well, I'll in air quotes, I'll
1: falsify. I'll just say made up some of his results. And this is something that's gone on through history, not just with the comic books, not just with the video games. Think about things like in the 30s, Reefer Madness, and, and like, you know, propaganda is really what this is. That's the perfect word for it. And, you know, if you can get enough people to start believing in propaganda, they will they will feed into those fears. And that's where we come into the Comics Code Authority.
0: Well, yeah. So what really what it comes down to is this book comes out his, you know, Seduction of the Innocents, and it rallies or rails against all of these comic books. The one that they sort of put out there for everyone to see is um, a book called um, Foul Play. So Foul Play is a little short story that takes place within the Tales from the Crypt, um, and it's just it's a group of, like, zombies playing baseball and when he hits the ball, his intestines go all the way down to first base. You Sounds know? amazing. And it's
1: not a ball; it's a head. Sounds and like mutant league baseball to me. That's
0: really what it is. <laughs> you know, it's it's not that it's not that bad. Uh, I, I don't know. Maybe because it's not 1954 or whenever this thing comes out. But the, the idea is that that's what they do, and they take that. You know, they're throwing the, the zombie head or whatever it is, and they're pitching it and they're hitting it. It's like I I don't know if that's gonna make me go commit crime.
1: Right, but now. That's how we get the comic code authority, which is, I you know, I keep paralleling to this, but in 93, we get the ESRB to rate video games. And the, the comic code authority is, like, super hard. You can't talk about drugs. You can't talk about, you know, anything sexual. Um, they, they really, because they, they act like only young children read comic books. Well, it's worse than that, though. You can't even, in the name of your comic book, you
0: can't say terror or horror. Right.
1: You can't depict zombies or werewolves. So it was a direct hit on, you know, what they were doing in comic books. They're saying, well, see what you're doing and the things you're making money on? You can't make money on them anymore. Well, this is the,
0: sort of to go off against the comic code, like uh, Marv Wolfman. They wouldn't, they didn't want him to be able to publish his name because right. his, last his last name, last name, is, name Wolf. is Wolfman. Like, come yeah. on. like Exactly.
1: Let's get out of here. And and you, you can see the prejudice in it towards the comic books because in movies they can do all that. In movies they have Dracula and, I mean, that's around the time you have the Hammer films with the Van Helsings and they're doing the exact same things they're telling the comic books that they can't do.
0: Yeah, and and that's where I sort of draw the line. I'm like, all right, you're just useless to me. Get away from me. Right. And, you know, eventually we get rid of it, but. So the Comic Code Authority is really the thing that ends the golden age of comic books and really pushes us towards the Silver Age. Uh, so when we come back from this break, we'll sort of dive deep into the Silver Age and see where it leads us. Spoilers, it's the modern age.
1: Spider-Man, Spider-Man, does whatever a spider can. Spins a web any size, catches feet just like guys Look out, here comes the Spider-Man. Is he strong? Listen bud He's got radioactive blood Can he swing From a thread Take a look Overhead Hey there There goes a Spider-Man In the chill of night At the scene of a crime Like a streak of night He arrives just
0: in time Welcome back to the show guys Thanks for hanging out with us And sticking with us Through all of this Wonderful comic book material Uh Finishing up the golden age shifts us into the Silver Age. Now, a little context for the Silver Age. We talked about in the last section about rhythm Seduction of the Innocents. And basically what happened is all of the comic book industry takes a nosedive because people obviously want to read about things like werewolves and zombies. They don't want to read about puppy dogs and ice cream.
1: And that you know, and that's what they kind of forced them to do is write about puppy dogs and ice cream in a roundabout way.
0: Yeah, there's not much you can talk about. You know, you can't fight zombies anymore. I mean, Whatever, you suck So what happens is Most of the comic books go away We end up with comic books that are like westerns again Uh, You know, the high school dramas um, Magic
1: Now is that what your Archie comic type thing comes out of?
0: Well, Archie's before that Archie's been around, yeah Um, This is like what would have been like Fawcett comics Back in the day with like Shazam, those sort of things Uh, You're left with I,
1: I believe that was Captain Marvel same difference. We'll today. get into that. Yeah. Now, that happens in the Silver Age.
0: Uh, yes, yeah, so he comes back as Captain Marvel. No, he can't.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think that was around... I mean, since we're there, real quick. Why is Captain Marvel a DC character in the 30s, 40s, and 50s? And all of a sudden, it, Captain Marvel becomes a Marvel character, which is a girl later in time? Oh, Captain Marvel. All
0: right. So, the whole story with that is that Fawcett Comics was
1: acquired by DC. So pre, um, when they come out with Captain Marvel, which is the Shazam character, that was not DC at the time.
0: No, that's Fawcett Comics. Even when they do the serial, they do... because So Captain Marvel or Shazam, whichever one you want to call it. I always say Shazam because I like that name. Uh, but it's Captain Marvel. He has the first live-action show. Because he comes out, and he sort of takes... He's Superman, right? Look at him. He's all, all of the powers of Superman. He does all the same things Superman does, except he has the alter ego of Billy Batson, so he is, can sort of relate to the kids. And he, Superman starts going off on doing different things, and Shazam really, Captain Marvel, really strikes a chord with kids. And so kids are the ones who are going to buy a comic book, so he gets super-duper popular.
1: And he starts outselling Superman for yeah. a while there. And until that's, Superman. That's when Superman starts moving planets and stuff.
0: Yeah, he starts, you know, the bottle of candor, you know, you got kryptonite comes out. Thank you, Bill Finger. Um, and <laughs> so they put him out there. But what happens is Fawcett collapses. And that they get the DC gets the rights to that character. And then later on in the 60s, um, the copyright comes up on that. And so that's when Captain Marvel is like, Wait, we need it. Well, not Marvel, Stan Lee. is like, we need a character who is uh, representative of Marvel Comics. Which you know it used to be timely. Now they have a whole new name, so they take the name and they get the rights to the name, not the character. Right. And so then they come back. Then they DC comes back and retcons it into oh no no his name is Shazam, right? Because it's what is it? It's uh, Hercules, Achilles, Zeus, uh, Aphrodite. Uh, I, I never remember what the S is. Right. I have no
1: idea either. But um, so that, I mean that's that, that's just a quick rundown of why Captain Marvel. Is a chick in Marvel and was a guy in DC.
0: Well, he was when they, when Captain Marvel comes in DC Comics, he is the guy. Right. But later on, I think in the 70s or 80s, Captain, the original Captain Marvel, uh, Marvel gets cancer and dies. And then they come out with. Captain Marvel, who we know, which is like the Brie Larson Ms. Marvel, not oh, okay. Ms. Marvel. Okay, see, I
1: didn't know about that, but I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. So it's the evolution of the character, and in the books, she. But Marvel smartly, when the copyright lacks, jump on that. and yeah, like, You well, know,
0: it's our name. We should use it. Exactly. Um. So going back, so we're now we're talking about Silver Age. We're talking about how the comic book industry gets destroyed by the Comics Code Authority, and we're left with just a couple individual books. I think we have a Batman and a Robin. Uh, we have Superman. I think Wonder Woman is still around. And those are really the only big characters who are around. And this massive decline means you got to do something. And in comic book, what do you do when you need to boost sales? Rewrite that shit. Right. Number one again, right? And so then they start going like, well, we can't start over. So then they go, all right, well, what can we do? Let's just make another character. So we get um, the first one is uh, it's the Silver Age comic book, uh, which is uh, showcase... Number four, I want to say. It's the
1: Flash, and it's the whole new Flash. And this is the redesign, where he gets rid of that goofy-looking helmet, and he looks like the Flash, more like the Flash we know today.
0: Yeah, he's no longer, like, Greek god or Roman god Mercury-looking Flash. He's, like, sleek. He's scarlet, because who wouldn't want to be this red and yellow blur that goes through the streets? You know, i got to be honest. I love the look of the Flash, and it really starts here. Yeah, it's, it's a good look. I'm, you know, it's the new type of superhero. Right, Gone away the capes. Right? No more getting caught in the uh, jet engines. Yeah, <laughs>
1: another reference to Incredibles. Um, and, you know, so yeah, DC starts kind of rehashing their characters or revising them or whatever you want to call it. And that's what this is now mid-50s into the 60s. Yeah, I think
0: this, uh, the showcase comes out 56, 57. And, you know, a big part of that is because the industry declined, well, naturally all of the writers who were there are going to go somewhere else. They're not going to have jobs. So now you get this whole new era of of artists. You know, you still have Jack Kirby still around. Ditko is still around. Um, Stan Lee is still around. But you get this whole new crop of artists, like uh, uh, Infantino, uh, Denny O'Neill, yeah. uh, Neil Adams. Um, those guys come on. Stranko comes on. That's And really, he's there for a few years. But the idea is that you get a whole new version of, of artists and writers who are going, okay, well... These are characters, but that's not how I would do it. I have an opportunity to change it. So then you start seeing, you know, what we think of like alternate universe, you know, the multiverse characters where they're changing, right? And you get new characters um, from DC. You get new characters from Marvel, and then you go through. You get
1: like the Justice League, for instance, comes out, right? Get, but now, um, going back, just to, just to to reframe this is um, DC starts kind of rehashing their characters you know, updating them in a way, but they're still not selling that great. You know, it's not like it, it was this big cosmic shift when they changed the Flash and all that. The big cosmic shift comes in about 63 when, what is it, Jack Kirby and Stan Lee come up with the Fantastic Four.
0: Yeah, that's the, well, because <laughs> that's the first sort of team-up book. It reboots it. You know, you re, you see the Human Torch again. Right. And it changes. It's a whole new style of superhero.
1: And that's a big seller. Like, that, this boom starts kicking off the more, um, you know, we're in space. It's cosmic rays and, um, you know, kind of different ways that they become superheroes, but also different ways that the superheroes are portrayed. They have real problems. They're real people. They're not Superman who is this alien from another planet who is impervious to pain and everything. Like, they, they have vulnerabilities, and I think that's one of the big things. Stan Lee starts writing with vulnerabilities, you know, things that we can relate to as people.
0: Yeah, the, the weaknesses of the individual come out in, in in print. We don't know, what is Clark Kent's weakness? He doesn't really have one. He's just stumbling. What is Bruce Wayne's weakness? I don't know. He can't afford to buy all of Europe. Yeah, he, he can mean, only find the Eastern Bloc He Europe, can right? buy
1: everything he needs with money, and he has everything. But Marvel's saying these are real people who have real problems just like you, but they also have these other problems where now they're superheroes, and how are they balancing their lives and dealing with that? And th- th- this is an explosion at this time. I mean, think about the characters that come out at this time. Exactly. I mean, you got the Fantastic Four to start, like we already said. You've got Hulk. you got Hulk. You've got Thor. You've got Iron Man. You have Spider-Man? Spider-Man, which is...
0: Becomes the face of Marvel Comics.
1: Well, Spider-Man is... Yeah, he... Spider-Man is one of the only... You know, let's say before the Marvel Universe and how, you know, Marvel dominates everything now and everybody knows their characters. Throughout time, it really was DC's two characters that dominated, Batman and Superman. You can throw Wonder Woman in there, the the Trinity. right. And Marvel had good characters, but nothing like Spider-Man. Because in 63, when they create Spider-Man, now that's Stan Lee and Ditko. Yeah. So I know there was a big thing about how Ditko never got enough credit, kind of like the Bill Finger thing in that. But his name is at least on the book. Right, exactly. Um, So Spider-Man is the only one, to me, at the time through the years, that stood with Superman and Batman in pop culture relevance. You know, if you thought about every Marvel character, maybe the Hulk. The Hulk... But I wouldn't put the Hulk up there as much, but he was definitely recognizable because say the TV show. Yeah, uh, yeah. DC Comics,
0: their characters stand above the Marvel characters up until this point. They start to get old, and later on, you know, more towards our generation, they really sort of go past the DC characters. But right. you can go anywhere and ask, who's Batman? Right,
1: exactly. Or <laughs> who's Spider-Man? You know, and or the, who's Superman? Those three, I can see somebody not knowing who Wonder Woman is, but Batman, Superman, and Spider-Man... They're just so ubiquitous. You know, they are everywhere you look, everywhere you go, you see these things in pop culture. And I mean, that wasn't it. He also had the the X-Men they came out with around that time. They had Daredevil. They had Doctor Strange.
0: Black Panther. Black
1: Panther. He's a little bit, Black Panther's like 66, 67,
0: but But, still in that window, right?
1: In that window of where, and now this, all of a sudden, these comic books are selling like crazy. They're... Changing the landscape, all of a sudden superheroes are cool again. And like I said before, with Peter Parker, the story that you know, the Peter Parker thing, Spider Man is great, but people are really drawn to that Peter Parker thing because they can relate to Peter Parker. You like the girl next door, you're nervous about talking to her, even though in real life you can jump all across the city and fly around. You know, it's the vulnerabilities that really sold them to people.
0: It's you know, at some point when you're reading. A comic book, you relate to the character, and you say, "Okay, how how does this fit into my world? You know, what what can what can I do that he can do? Like, how are we similar? And with Peter Parker, you're not similar to Spider-Man at all, right? No one is similar to Spider-Man. You don't have to justify. It, you know, when I'm reading Batman, I'm like, "Well, yeah, I guess I'm kind of dark and brooding. You know, great. Right. If I had a billion dollars, I could do this too, right? But with Spider-Man, you're like, "All right, well, yeah, I have str- I struggle making rent." I got fired from my job. I like I didn't do my homework last night. All of these things sort of are what you do in your life and the Spider-Man story at times becomes the secondary
1: story. We're like, "Well, I actually want to know what happens with Peter Parker." Exactly. And that's, you know, that's that was the genius of what Stan was doing along with the other guys at Marvel at the time. And that that changed the landscape of comic books in to such a degree it's it's all it's I would put it up there with the beginning with Superman and how, you know how they, they just everything was put back on the map at that time, and now you start seeing things, um, in in TV, you know before you had some old shows people watched the Superman show and stuff but once the Batman show came out in sixty eight uh, with Adam West,
0: 66, I'm uh, sixty six.
1: Excuse me, I'm, yeah, sixty six. I didn't mean that. I mean sixty six when that show came out, all of a sudden. You didn't have to be a comic book fan to know who Batman was. And that's when comics start breaching out into more than just comics, just into pop culture in general and the general consciousness of society in America. You know, I mean, that show was huge for a couple of years. Well, it was one of those shows that you could watch as an adult
0: and watch as a kid and you both take something different from it
1: and you get different jokes out of it you know it was it the the, diff, the thing about it though it did it did kind of ruin batman for a long time as just a campy um you know not really cool just kind of like goofy comic book character
0: in in some people's minds yeah it sort of put that stain on him but if you if you look at what they do in the in the 66 batman and then you go back and you look at batman from the 40s and you know the, the mid 40s that's what Batman was, right? I mean, yes, he still had the moniker of the Dark Knight, and it you know, sort of goes back. But it's not the Dark Knight like it was later. But there's, you know, he's still on a giant typewriter. He's still battling Clock King, and a lot of that sort of over-the-top campiness is still there. It's just on TV now, and people right. are like, oh, that's not what I. That's not my Batman. That's right. Well, that's if, silly. I mean, if you look
1: back to Batman, maybe the first year. Of Batman, he was violent. He had a gun. He shot people. But they toned that down almost immediately to sell it more to children. Well, get
0: it to Detective Comics, exactly. If, if he's going to have Robin with him, you can't. He can't be doing that stuff. He can't be pushing people into the acid bath and saying he got what he deserved or his just deserts or whatever he says. I don't remember from the first book, but yeah, it's that same idea. Where they're sort of changing things.
1: But that show was incredible. I mean, that you know, going because we were too young to see it, but it was on when we were kids. It was on Nickelodeon and Nick at Night. You could watch Batman. And um I loved the show. I, I like I loved all the characters in it. They had some great villains in that show. Oh yeah, there's like Eggman, King Tut. Yeah, well they also but they had some really good actors. They had Burgess Meredith as the penguin. They had um Caesar Romero Caesar Romero With who wouldn't, mustache. wouldn't shave his mustache. You I, know? I, believe, I, mean, I believe we call that a Henry Cavill now. Yeah, right. <laughs> it, uh, you know what? I gotta say this. It actually looks better. Um, on Caesar Romero, where they just put makeup over it, than it did in the DC uh, Superman movie. There, where you could just his lip just didn't look right. Oh, they they, they tried to deep fake and it just didn't work. You know, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they can make Samuel Jackson look like he's in his twenties and it looks great, but you can't remove a mustache. You know what I mean? Was it Movember? <laughs> did I miss something?
0: Listen, Mission Impossible had an ironclad contract with him, and you shouldn't go back and do reshoots. That's why everyone wants the Snyder Cut. Because there's right. no fucking Henry Cavill with a mustache in the right. Snyder Cut. Right, and here's the
1: thing, you know, just one more thing. Wouldn't it have been easier for them to just put a fake mustache on him than for him to have a mustache digitally taken out? I mean, are you kidding me right now? Why can't Superman have a mustache? Uh, well, exactly, <laughs> that would have been, you know what, dude? If they had made Superman with a porn stash, I would be all over that movie. That would be incredible. No, it wouldn't. It would just be a little bit better. Like, <laughs> incrementally better, and we'd have one less thing to talk about. Right,
0: right. I get it. All right, so back to DC comic books, because is better than Marvel at this they point. They never At have this been. point, ever.
1: Uh, not, no, at this point, Marvel's now taking over and saying, hey, this is how comic book characters really are. And I think we skipped, we kind of glossed over real quick the X-Men, which I think really holds a big special place, and it's monumental, because all of a sudden, it wasn't something that, Happened to you, or you know something that you chose to try a test? They were born with it, and they were mutants, and this was a whole new idea. Um, and it you know it was really drawing from the civil rights movement at the time.
0: Yeah, it's a it's a huge parallel, and it's one thing that both DC and Marvel sort of do jump on in their own way. You know, I think the Marvel is a little more ahead of DC in this, where they take a social conscious. And they go, all right, what, what can we do? And Stan is always one who wants to include everyone. I mean, he he does Black Panther. He does Power Man, right? Right. He, he's thinking about the people who read his comic books. And one way that they do it, I mean, if you look at X-Men, they do Friends of Humanity. If that's not an allegory for the KKK, I don't really know what is. Right, right. I, I mean, the whole, the whole concept of it is, you know, it's not something we did. Like you said, they're born that way. And, and you take the approach of, well, why are they being persecuted? You know, we want them to register. You know,
1: we want that they have to hide. Right. Exactly. And you know, people make fun of them. And which, which, you know, anytime I read one of those comic books, I'm thinking, if there was this guy who was a mutant who claws could come out of his hands, or he could disappear and reappear, or create fire out of nothing, you're never gonna find me making fun of that guy, okay, ever, because he could just and I'm gone. Yeah, no, there's zero <laughs> chance that I'm gonna be approaching this guy. I don't care that he's like five foot eight. Right. He's
0: still five foot eight and like fucking jacked out of his mind. <laughs> and I know that he has giant claws out of it and he, he fights with robots. Like, who is going up to her embargo, You don't belong here? Well,
1: exactly. But you know, what they were doing, like we said, was paralleling what was happening in society at the time. And they did it they did a great job of it. And they created almost a whole different kind of universe within their own universe where people are born with what they would call almost a disability, you know, where it's an ability, but, you know, the, the normal society would call it a disability, and they treat them like shit. So, I mean, brilliantly done there. Marvel again with Stanley changing just everything, Excelsior. That's all I can really say about it, you know?
0: Well, it's the same thing, but, though, if you look at uh, the other side at the Distinguished Competition, they're doing the same thing. Uh, A little bit later,
1: but they do that with Green Lantern and Green Arrow. Green Lantern, Green Arrow, right? And at first, because I, you know, I just got done watching another documentary. I'd love to just plug here. uh, What's it called? The the PBS documentary with Lee of Schreiber. It's superheroes. Super. It's. It's, it's, and there's
0: also the, the book, it's Cape Cowles and something, it's like the companion novel to it, which is
1: an excellent read. It, the, the whole I mean, if you're interested in any way in comic books, you've got to check out that documentary. It's a PBS documentary, which is, you know, they always do tremendous work on documentaries. Um, it's hosted by Leev Schreiber. It's pretty much... Uh, just, Liev Schreiber? Whatever his name is. But it's, um, it's pretty much like what we're doing, but a little more thorough, pictures and... Um, it's got a lot of great information just well, about comic books and how they've evolved. I would say it's researched. Yeah, researched. <laughs> <and> <laughs> just not them shooting out their opinions. But it's it's a really good watch if you can find it. I believe that one is on Hulu if you have it. So check it out.
0: So yeah. Anyway, after the advertisement for the book, uh, we're talking about Green Lantern, Green Arrow, who do the same thing in DC world. They do. Uh, it's a short-lived series. I think I don't know if it's like nine, ten books or something it's called Hard Traveling Heroes. Where Green Lantern and Green Arrow, two characters that were sort of failing at this time, um, get put on the same book. Uh, it's Neil Adams and uh, Denny O'Neill, writer and author, and they talk about real issues. You know, I think in the first issue, you you get, um a guy in the city, a black guy who's talking to the Green Lantern. is saying, you know, something like, "You've saved the blue guy. You've
1: saved the pink guy." That was uh, a, a, just real quick. I hate to inter- interject, but Was it, it was Green Lantern with Green Arrow, right? It was like, it was Green Lantern's comic, was it not? Well, they were put together in the same book, so it's top build for both of them. It wasn't
0: a Green Lantern or a Green Arrow. Right. It was them together, I believe, right? I don't know. I'm going to check right now. No, I think you're right. Yeah? Yeah. So... And he's like, you know, what about what about the brown skin man? He's, he's sort of the idea of that you're this intergalactic space cop and you're not helping the people right in front of you. You know, you're serving injustices on other planets, but you come here and you don't do anything. And then you have, you know, the Green Arrow who is the, you know, full on liberal who's like all about doing the right thing regardless of, you know, what it takes to do it and he's like, you know, you can't do this, can't do that. Where Green Arrow is, uh, Green Lantern is like, yes, this is my job. I have a job to do, and
1: you know. It, so it's this great story,
0: and they, and they and go to. Through...
1: Well, this is like us now. This kind of starts moving us into the Bronze Age, right? Almost, yeah. yeah I I mean, mean, the Silver is... Age is probably the smallest time, maybe, or close to it. It's the smallest time, but it has the biggest impact, right? On on uh, modern comics, without a doubt. I
0: mean, all of the characters, not all of them, but ninety percent of the characters that we know and love come from that
1: Silver Age. Right, and now coming into the Bronze Age, which is more like seventy to eighty-five ish. Yeah, it's where they, it's sort of where comics now start to take a darker turn. Right, and they start well in yeah, tone. And, and this is the same time around when they start fighting against what the comics code is trying to force them to do. Yeah, and that brings us back to hard
0: traveling heroes because one of the stories in hard traveling heroes is in direct conflict with that. Um, they do they do this story called um, Snowbirds Don't Fly. In which Speedy, who is Green Arrow's ward,
1: uh, gets addicted to. Uh, oh, I love the about. cover of that one. That's I, I know the cover. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, it's them two. And what is it like in the foreground? It's it's Speedy. Yeah, and he's like bent over, and he's like got the and like, Green Lantern says something, and um, Green Arrow says, "Oh my God, Speedy's a junkie!" Isn't that what he says? Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. But you know they didn't release that. See, before that. The Spider-Man comic was um, Stan Lee. I don't oh, know if that's I right, I can't remember yeah. what the name of the comic is, but Spider-Man um, finds a kid who gets really high, and he's so high that he thinks he can fly, and he jumps off a roof, and Spider-Man saves him. And, you know, the whole message of the thing is don't do drugs. But the Comics Code Authority says, well, you can't do that because you're depicting drugs. And even though Stan's saying, but we're doing it in a way... To tell children not to do drugs, the Comics Code says you can't release that. Regardless, so Stan goes to Marvel, the higher ups, and says, "I still want to release this without the approval of the Comics Code," which was, you know, completely unheard of at the time. Nobody had done that, and unexpectedly, the Marvel higher ups said, "Go ahead, do it." And so they release it without the the, the Comics Code approval on the on the cover, or for the, anything, and that changes everything yet again well they have to
0: revise the code but the so the interesting part about that is the um, the Department of Health actually asked Stanley to do the the book so I could see right, why exactly I could see why Marvel at the time was like all right screw the comic book code we're gonna publish it anyway right right I mean it's one of those things where it's like well we already did all the work like why why are we gonna not publish it so what if no one no one buys it because it doesn't have the code on it all right. Well, we didn't lose anything, just the printing cost. But it's a story that Stan, you know, was standing behind, and one that he wanted to get out there. And that one is one that sort of re, reshapes the entire landscape because it, a,
1: because right after that is when they release Green Lantern, Green Arrow, and like almost immediately they reconvene and change the comic code completely to where it's almost non-existent and doesn't really, you know, hold any. Um, any weight on anything that happens anymore in the comics industry. So that really is a watershed moment in comics, starting off really, you know, the Bronze Age of comic books. And in the 70s, you keep getting newer characters that are more relevant to, you know, culture at the time, which was changing rapidly. You start getting the black exploitation films, Shaft, um, what's the other one there? I'm going to get you, sucker. I'm going to get you, sucker. I'm not sure that's one of them. That was from the 80s, wasn't it? Was that 80s? I but know that's, that's, that was that's Marlon Wayans.
0: That, uh, what's his name? Not Marlon Wayans. Older Wayans. Keenan Ivory. Yeah, the older one. He's in that one. I don't know when that one comes Right. Well, out. No,
1: this is early. This is like the Shaft films and the other, as they call them, black uh, exploitation films. And you get, um, in Marvel, you get Luke Cage now. And Luke Cage is a badass. And he was in prison. And they did tests on him in prison. And now he got out of prison. And he's relating to the... The black culture in America at the time, which I thought I thought Marvel was always a lot better than DC at. They still they're still better at it. Well, it, I mean, yeah, because DC just kind of seemed detached from it, and Marvel really always dove into those social issues, especially around that time.
0: Yeah, it's a, I mean, we talked about a bunch of them. Where you know they're changing what they do to sort of meet their their readers. Right. You know, it's a changing audience. There, you know, we're shifting from you know, buying comic books at, you know, local stores to actually having comic book stores. You know, the distribution change, a distribution method changes. And so they're going, all right, well, we have a better understanding of who our readers are. We're going to separate ourselves, you know, we're going to separate ourselves from the distinguished competition. And this is what they're doing. You have these DC characters who are larger than life, who deal with issues that are beyond, you know, the ground level hero. And now all of a sudden, Marvel is going, okay, well, What's our niche in the market? Well, we have characters with depth, right? You know, we have characters who have neighborhoods. You know, now you have Daredevil and Hell's Kitchen. You know, you have characters who are interested in serving their community. You know, your
1: friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, Luke Cage, hero for hire. I mean, come on, Which he had a? I mean, he had a fucking business card. Is there anything <laughs> better than that? So, I mean, I want a Luke Cage hero for hire business card. That's amazing. <laughs> and also around this time you're getting Nick Fury um, You get the
0: Starenko, um, Nick Fury Where it just changes everything where he, Well what
1: you mean the first three pages There's not even a word on either page It's just panels that, of sections That tell a story Isn't that the height of telling a story If you can do it without words Right and, you know and um, I heard that When he brought that in The guy said Listen, I can't pay for those first three pages. There's nothing here for writing them. Writing. You pay you yeah. for drawing them. Right. Pages. Right. Exactly. And um, so he claims that he grabbed him by the throat and said, "You're going to pay me for those three pages." And he, you know, eventually acquiesced and paid him for those pages. Well, did you ever? Have you seen pictures of Stranko back then? I mean, he was a former escape <laughs> artist. It's a pretty big dude. I wouldn't fuck with him. And um, you know, that's Nick Fury, another great comic. And they did a lot of suggestive things in that, where like. You, know, you couldn't really show sex. This is still a little earlier before the whole Comics Code was kind of dissolved. So he shows them kissing, and then he shows the phone, which couldn't show the phone off the hook, so the phone's on the hook. And in the last frame, you can't show sex, so he shows the gun in the holster. Yeah, that's, that's great, <laughs> suggestive, perfect, well done. Um, you know, just continually moving along. And also in the '70s, you start getting the TV shows. You get the Hulk TV show, which is a big hit. It's is there anything better than him wrestling the bear? I mean, every time <laughs> I go back and watch it, every Hulk scene is in slow motion. <laughs> the whole scene, is just Lou Ferrigno running around, um, smashing everything, but always in slow motion. I uh, kind of like. I don't know if you ever watched the show, The Six Million Dollar Man. It's always in slow motion.
0: Well, it has to be. You gotta right. stretch out those frames. I I need a twenty three minute show. I gotta Just put to it in take it motion. out of
1: context, I, the other day I just came across a six million dollar man episode on YouTube, so I put it on. Never really watched the show. It's you know, before my time. But he goes and he's fighting Bigfoot. And I look at Bigfoot, I'm like, no way. Bigfoot was under the giant. I just thought it was amazing, you know? I don't think I've ever seen that. It's Terrible, but it's amazing, oh, sure. too. We it's can rebuild giant. him for $6 million. You can't even fix his dentures for $6 million these days. No, no, not anymore. <laughs> uh, other characters we get.
0: We get uh, Storm joins the X-Men. Yep. Blade. Oh, Blade's a badass. No, Blade's great. One of the best. You don't doesn't get any credit for being, but it is one of the best comic book movies. Um, You think all three of them, though? Or just no, the no, first it's just the first one. one. Yeah. I like the third one because Ryan Reynolds is in it. Yep. Yeah. And i like to say, you know, all right, well, that's why he, he did Green Lantern. Yeah. I think, you know, and, and you know how much I love that movie. Um, but speaking of
1: Green Lantern, you get John Stewart Green Lantern. You get Cyborg. You get Cyborg, who, like, I literally, got to be honest with you, I, I kind of knew who he was, didn't really until Teen Titans. Well, that's where he's from. He comes in in the, the Teen Titans. That Wolfman, right, does those?
0: I'm not sure. Anyway, yeah, you get the new Teen Titans, where you get um, Cyborg, you get Starfire, you get awesome Nightwing and that. Awesome, 70s disco suit. So fantastic. So good,
1: so good. Um, What else are we getting there? Well, you get some big moments that I don't want to gloss over and I don't want to miss before we kind of, before we get into the 80s, because you have, I believe before the 80s, the death of Gwen Stacy.
0: Oh, that's right. You get that, that... The one that
1: they tried to do in the movie, they just didn't quite get it right. Oh, God, that's so bad. But in the comic book, it was a big deal. People liked Gwen Stacy, and the way they did it was really good. You know, she's falling, and he catches her just before she lands, but you see just a little word snap near her neck, and when he grabs her, he's like, Gwen, I'm the best, right? I saved you again. And she's dead. So it was, you know, it was well done, and it was a really big deal because people don't die in the comic books, you know. Well, they don't die forever, right? And she died forever. She did. They, didn't they eventually bring her back, or no? I don't know. I she, is she always dead? Is it six one six? Is that where we're at right now? <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I mean, they bring people back. They brought they brought the Flash back. Yeah. Well, Barry Allen Flash, but yeah. So Bronze Age, sort of this short revolutionary period of time it's another one of those things where you get a lot of changing the guards in terms of writers and artists so those a few holdouts that were left in from the golden age who managed to make it through the silver age now retired now you get the bronze age
1: right and you know let's not forget in the bronze age that you get one of you know another one of the most significant moments i guess in The transition from the comic book pages to the movies is in 78 when you get Richard Donner's Superman, the movie. You know, which at the time, special effects they say were really good, but going back, I mean, it looks bad. But it was monumental. It was a big deal. It was a big hit. Everybody loved it. We got three other crappy movies after it. I mean, the second one's decent, but come on now. Well, let's go for because you get uh, Supergirl, too. Oh, God. Yes, you definitely do. And also around this time, Bronze Age is when you're getting your um, Justice League. um, Of the Super Friends? Yeah, the Super Friends with the Legion of Doom. And you're getting your Spider-Man and his Amazing Friends is kind of coming out around the same time. So you're, you're, you're moving... I guess more so, I mean, I know it's always been like that, but they're moving more so into pop culture and not just within the comic book pages.
0: Yeah, and again, I think a lot of that goes back to to 66 Batman that showed that that could be done. I mean, that took over everywhere. Right. Right. So as we shift into the Bronze Age, there's one thing that happens um, that really marks sort of the end, and in most people's minds, ends of the Bronze Age, and that's Crisis on Infinite Earths, uh, which is... uh, A
1: read that you can go back to. Yeah, you know, I've never read it. I understand the premise of it, but is it just a smorgasbord of bullshit? Or, I mean, like, how is it? You're not gonna like it. No.
0: Well, I mean, there's some cool things in there, but it's not. It's not well written per se. What is is the point of it, though? Like,
1: the whole point is that they want to. DC wants to become relevant again. And so, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because right, because that's something we didn't mention that even all these things we're talking about in the late, you know, Superman's getting a movie, but comic book sales are once again kind of down at this time.
0: So, Crisis on Infinite Earth is the DC Universe wanting to consolidate all of its multiverse. You know, you have in the DC Universe, you have Earth over here, Earth over here. So, your Earth 616. I know that's Marvel, but the idea is you're that is Marvel, okay. Yeah. I'm always confused about that shit. Uh, Earth, you have Earth One, and it has, you know, your Alan Scott, your Jay Garrick. So Alan Scott, Green Lantern, Jay Garrick, Flash. You know, you're talking about the guy who, uh, with the red cape, you know, the red shirt, and actually has the lantern, you know, found it in like a train car. Yeah. And then you got Jay Garrick, who's got the giant silver plate on his head. <laughs>
1: yeah, so essentially Golden Age characters. Yeah, and then right.
0: you're, you got Silver Age, where you got, like, Barry Allen, Flash. Um, you got. Uh, John Stewart or or Hal Jordan, depending on where you're reading.
1: Now, were they all running concurrently though? Like, are they running a Earth Two Flash with an Earth One, uh, or they, do they just kind of fade away but they're not dead?
0: They're not dead. They come up. Like, you know, they're, I think the first time you see it is a Flash of Two Worlds, right. where they actually collide in the same book. It's that super iconic one where they're both running to save the person at the construction site, and they're both on opposite sides of the brick wall, and they collide. And that's where you really see the multiverse come together, and you see, you know, oh wow, they they live in the same multiverse, right. you know, that that sort of thing. And so the whole the whole premise behind this um, is that they're trying to consolidate it into one single universe. And what they do is they have the Anti Monitor. Um, he's trying to recruit the heroes around the multiverse because they're being murdered, and and so that's the whole premise of it. Um, it ends with. You know, people dying.
1: Right, it was, but it, but it, uh, eventually it it brings us to what point though?
0: Like in terms of comic books, like where does it? Bring yeah. Us? So
1: where are we at the end of Crisis of Infinite Earths? Where are we as opposed to where we were when we started Crisis on? And, and it's a weird question, but
0: so all of the all of the multiverses are done. There's one left. Okay, That's, so that was so we've consolidated. Yeah, we get like Old Man Superman dies. Wally West sacrifices himself. Yeah. So to, to save everybody to save the entire multiverse from collapsing.
1: So that basically um brings us kind of moving into the modern age.
0: Yeah, so you you get the Flash dying. Right. And then you get the anti modern anti-matter absorbing all of the worlds and you left with one. And that's really it. So now everything is the same continuity. There's no more of those uh we got golden age over here, we got silver age over here. It's just one universe of comic books. And that really brings you into the modern age
1: of comic books. Which is really... I mean, there's a lot of things in the modern age that make it the modern age, but I think what really kicks it off is when Frank Miller takes over the Batman and he comes out with The Dark Knight Returns. That is like... uh, That kind of changes what people are doing in comic books. Kind of more of a graphic novel type thing.
0: Well, it's like adult version. Exactly. You know, it's, it's a comic book that... You wouldn't have read as a kid, but now as an adult, you want
1: to read. Right. Well, it's more like a graphic novel, you know? It reads now. It's it's
0: sort of not written in graphic novel format, but the way that it's been combined into the graphic novel format, it's perfect from start to finish. It, it reads the way that it should. It's one of those books that I go back and read all the time. Then you get uh, you get Alan Moore
1: doing The Watchman v. For Vendetta, two great books. Yeah, two And two... Books that are like now we're really starting to change how seriously you can take comic books because now they're telling stories that everybody can, you know, relate to in some way or enjoy and not just be thinking about, you know, comic book guys flying around doing stupid things. You know, what I mean, there's there's more depth. There's. There's more grit to these stories. Yeah, there's a subtext. There's a guy with his freaking Wang hanging out. You know what I mean? It's only in the movie. <laughs> oh, you can't see it in the comic book. I, don't, I think you can. You know, there's not one panel of just as Wong just like dangling <laughs> over the, the lines of the panel as well. <laughs> well,
0: for for Mister Manhattan, it's yeah. actually a full
1: splash page, so you can see it. <laughs> his name is his name Mister Manhattan too. I mean, yeah. I don't really know much about the Watchmen. I couldn't even watch the movie. It was tough for me. I'm not. I I'm, I I respect it to no end. I understand what it had a part of doing for the industry, but to me, it's a tough one. It's a Sin City for me. I don't I don't get these movies. They're a little too much for me to deal with, but there is a giant Wong, and um, his name is Mr. Manhattan. I just want you guys to soak that in for a second, all right? All right, moving on. Yeah, there's a lot
0: there. V for Vedetta is is really so good, and it's so relevant to the world that we live in now. Another one
1: I've never even seen.
0: Oh, it's a great. Well, start by reading the book. Um, It's great. It It sort of talks about... Uh, the issue of, you know, a controlling state. You know, the the different parts of the body that control different aspects of the the citizens, always under surveillance, and it's the person who sort of comes back, the V V comes back and sort of takes his revenge. And once you read it, you're like, wow, we're like three steps away from that now. Right. Um, During this
1: time period, you get independent comics. You get your independent comic books, which bring us what comic? Oh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, oh, baby! Nineteen eighty-three, right? Nineteen eighty-three. Yeah, uh, Eastman and Laird, independent guys. They made their comic, and you can hear about this as well in our Turtles podcast, where we we delve a little bit deeper into, you know, the reasons and and how it came about. But a couple of guys wanted to make a comic book. They came up with a, with a quirky idea about the turtles, and they released a limited number, drawn in black and white, and it sold like crazy. Oversized. Right, and then they they built from that, and it turned into an empire. So I mean, this is when you first start seeing seeing small, independent uh, writers and artists making their moves, which will eventually lead us into Image. You know.
0: Yeah, you see a lot of um, changes in the comic book medium. You see a lot of people do things that weren't happening before. Um, you see like um, horror comic books start to come back. Right. Um, with a vengeance, they, they were sort of coming back once things got grittier in the seventh. But then you see like uh uh what do you get? Neil Gaiman's The Sandman, which I talk about. I love. Um, you get the Preacher. Uh,
1: oh, preacher is such a badass dude. That was now that's more nineties though, right? Doesn't, but it's still, still modern
0: age though. Yeah, right. And these are all the sort of independent
1: ones. Because that you know, I think that's such a significant time period as well. What I want to do is I want to just let that simmer for a moment. And when we come back, we'll kind of move out of the 80s. We'll kind of finish that off and really get into when the independent comics took over in the modern age of comics.
0: Hey guys welcome back we're gonna wrap up this wonderful session of the 80s by talking about probably the most significant comic book thing to happen in the 80s potentially in the history of comic books um we're gonna talk about
1: 89 batman 89 batman baby oh my god still one of my favorite movies of all time it's a fantastic movie. It's so good. It
0: was the best representation of Batman we had since The Dark Knight Returns.
1: Exactly. And, you know, I don't really remember this, but looking back, when they named Michael Keaton as Batman, you got the same kind of thing you get today, where everybody freaked out. Like, the guy who played Beetlejuice, the guy who played Mr. Mom, is going to be Batman? Yep, Mr. Mom was the big one. Yep. And, um... You know, you see it t- today you see it again with Ben Affleck, you see it with Robert Pattinson. You see it with, you know, every guy they are always freaking out, they never give him a chance. I think even Heath Ledger when he was first going to be cast as the Joker, everybody kind of had an issue with it, you yeah, know. The guy
0: from 10 things I hate about you. Exactly. He can't be funny, he's Australian. Exactly. I mean, um, he
1: might not even be Australian or might not have been, I don't know. But um so in 89 this is when you get a studio to back a movie with a big budget again about a comic book character. And Tim Burton is the guy they choose to direct it, the guy who the year before had released Beetlejuice, which was definitely kind of an off-the-wall type Tim Burton-style movie that we'd never really seen before except for uh, Pee-wee's Playhouse. Or Pee-wee's Big Adventure, I think, is the one that he directed. So a really quirky kind of director they picked to to bring this movie to life. But what he did was he followed the... Or at least the, the writers followed the the... Dark Knight Returns kind of thing where it was really dark and it wasn't a campy Batman. It was a serious Batman, all dressed in black, um, much darker tone than kind of, you know, what people still were hanging on to with the campy Batman thing from the 60s. Because if you weren't in comic books, you don't know too much about the Dark Knight Returns. That changes comic books, but it doesn't really change society, you know, and how they view Batman.
0: Yeah, well, many of the people who sort of left Batman or their impression of Batman as the campy Adam West Batman never read The Dark Knight Returns. Exactly. So they don't, you know, they don't have this understanding of what this new type of new old Batman is like. Uh, And the thing that I love about this film is right off the bat, you get it. You know, most films, especially superhero films, you go 30, 40, 50 minutes. You know, you're halfway into the second act before you see the, the, the hero. Right. You're literally 30 seconds in, maybe maybe 45 seconds in before he's fucking those guys up on the top of the, oh, the building.
1: Oh, it's so awesome. That's, um, and, you know, it's done well, and he did it well. And you kind of, you know, that's always a great way to introduce a character in a movie is with shadows and, and, and fast movements, and all of a sudden you see him. And uh, you got that great scene where he's holding the guy up, and the guy's like, "Who are you?" He's, like, "I'm Batman," which you hear all the time in Batman, you know, uh, parodies and things like that, all throughout since then, I guess. Yeah, it's
0: it's a, an iconic line and an iconic scene, and and you get it right off the bat, and I love that in this movie they take the sort of the killing joke and the uh, the story of the messed up Batman killing or altering somebody to make them the joker that the red hood line where it's the ace chemical plant he he somehow plays a role in creating his own villains which is sort of my favorite aspect of batman anyway and we'll, right. we'll talk about that later with batman well but.
1: right but what they did it was you know like we talked about they were everybody was freaking out about Michael Keaton well they cast Jack Nicholson as the joker and nobody freaked out about that cuz Jack Nicholson was already a legend by that point and what they did with the character and the way they wrote it, they, they wrote it for Jack Nicholson. They catered it to his um, strengths and his style. And so you get that one-of-a-kind Jack Nicholson Joker, which is, like, it may be my favorite Joker of all time. I know everybody loves Heath Ledger now. Uh, but, it's you know, for me, it's that nostalgia thing. And he did such a great job. And for the longest time, he was the Joker. And nobody could live up to Jack Nicholson's Joker until Heath Ledger took it over and changed the dynamic of it and, you know, really made it his own.
0: Well, there's a big difference between the two styles of Joker. You know, in the Batman 89 film, he is the sort of the antithesis of Batman. He's sort of the opposite,
1: and he's created by Batman. And he's more along the lines of the Cesar Romero type, you know, laughing all the time. Yeah, chewing scenery. Exactly. He he does it better than Cesar Romero, but, you know, that's kind of, he's still, he plays the Joker in kind of a camp way still.
0: Well, yeah, he has to because we haven't made that transition. By Mm. the time, you know, Heath Ledger comes around for The Dark Knight, uh, we've had another Batman. You know, you have Batman Begins, you have a a longer um, history of different Batmans. You know, we've gone through uh, the Batman animated series, you know, we've gone through some. Other versions of Batman in the comic books and in pop culture
1: and more twisted takes on the Joker as well
0: yeah it's absolutely I mean I, you have to you know put him in his time and um, Jack Nicholson's Joker is phenomenal
1: it's a great performance and that movie by you know is has such a significant cultural impact I mean 1989 that whole year is like the year of Batman.
0: Yeah, the lead up it, to it.
1: Everything is Batman. That the the fr- from the first glimpse of the first trailer, through the rest of the year after the movie comes out. I'm sure it comes out sometime in the summer. I'm not quite sure the date of when that came out, but it's a summer blockbuster. It's a summer blockbuster. It's th- it's June, and it's you know it's it's on the McDonald's cups. It's everywhere. So now we start getting Batman movies um, consistently. The next couple years later, we get Batman Returns which is another good batman movie. It's not as good as the first one in my opinion, but it's still a great dark, gritty um take and the penguin is disgusting, you know? Like Danny uh, DeVito's great as the penguin. It's gross. It's
0: Batman in Gotham.
1: Right. And that and that's another great movie by Tim Burton and after that they got rid of him. And they gave Joel Schumacher the chances to make us Batnipples and you know all kinds of great things like that, which I didn't really mind Batman forever but it well, it didn't live up to the same at standards. the time. You know, I love Jim Carrey. Yeah, so it was great. He camped the hell out of that uh, role, though.
0: But at least he, you know he he doesn't he does it on purpose, though. You know, that's that's you're not going to get at this point in Jim Carrey. You're not going to get sunshine, Eternal Sunshine, and the whatever it is, or the Majestic. And that's
1: not why they hired him. They hired him to be Jim, be Ace Ventura in a Riddler costume. Right. You know what I mean? And that's what he did. And he, I I going back, I still like his performance. Everybody hates it because it's way over the top. I love Jim Carrey back then. I still love Jim Carrey. Um, I know he's goofy and ridiculous, but I thought he did a great job as the Riddler.
0: Yeah, you just lose out with Val Kilmer and Tommy the Jones.
1: Right, exactly. And then you get to the... Ugh, I don't even need to talk about nope. Batman and Robin, but that's... Moving on. Things take a dive <laughs> after that. Um, but let's go back to the the early 90s and the independent comics we were talking about before the break.
0: Yeah, so in the early 90s, we start to see an explosion of... of- independent artists who come out with things that are different. They're just completely different.
1: But it's really kicked off by the uh, Todd McFarlane, Jim Lee, and, you know, some of the other top artists at Marvel that, you know, like um, Todd McFarlane comes into Marvel, starts drawing Spider-Man, and all of a sudden he just, he changes everything about Spider-Man and his the way he's shaped and his, like his, his, the way he drew it was so unique and so cool at the time, and he had the spaghetti webbing and everything. There was webbing everywhere. Yeah, he, there was webbing literally on every page, just dripping
0: everywhere. And, and it wasn't just like a little fine thread. No, it was he all, had all like, over the place. It was like a like
1: nine threads, and it has the one that goes around and yeah, wraps. And it's just de- like he defined it though. He defined like and the the. That Spider-Man, what is it? Uh, the one, you know, the one with the variant covers. He, he's kind of in that crouch position. There's webs it's, everywhere. That's um, is that amazing number one. It's it, the first one that McFarlane draws, right? And it sells like uh, probably over a million copies, maybe two million. I, I know it sold a ton of copies. So McFarlane's over there drawing Spider-Man and outselling everybody else at the company, but the company, the corporate company, is still telling him, "You need to stop doing the spaghetti webbing. You need to stop doing." All these things you need to do it the way we want you to do it, and the same thing's kind of going on with um, Jim Lee, who I believe was he was drawing Wolverine at the time,
0: and and yeah, his time he's he's all over the place. He's DC, he's Marvel, he's Spider Man, he's Batman, he's
1: right. But I'm just talking this time period. So he would probably would have been doing X Men. That would have been ninety three, right? So I'm I'm I'm, well, I'm thinking more ninety before he left Marvel. This is when they left to form Image anyway. You got Jim Lee, who's one of the top artists. You got Todd McFarlane, who is the best-selling and you know, one of the top artists as well, and a few of the other guys. said, You know what? Fuck Marvel. We're going to leave Marvel. We're going to start our own company. We're going to call it Image, and we're going to be credited and make all the money off these properties that we're creating ourselves. And we're going to do things that big corporations don't have the balls to do because they have too much to lose for doing it because we don't have that. We want to be artists, and we want to make what we want to make. And so they form Image.
0: Yeah, it's the, let's do the, no longer do this work-for-hire bullshit where we're literally doing all of the work, creating all of the shit, and we're getting paid per page. Exactly.
1: You know, per... Just like it was 1937, you know what I mean? Yeah, so
0: they go out, and they start
1: Image Comics, and they start making new stuff. And they start absolutely outselling Marvel. I mean, McFarlane, the first thing Image releases is Spawn 1, which is all McFarlane, and it is so different than what you're seeing in mainstream comic books at the time. It's gritty. It's gory. It's disgusting. It's revolting. It it gives Spawn... You know, Spawn is another vulnerable character. He's like Superman, but... Every time he uses those powers, he dies a little bit more, you know, and his time is is less. And Spawn, to me, is one of the best comic books of all time. I mean, Spawn just captured my imagination so much back then. So you got Image Comics that come out with Spawn, right?
0: That was McFarlane's baby. Then you get Savage Dragon, which is um, Eric Larson's. Childhood creation This is a character That he makes Like when he's in High school or something And they, he, he gets it published As an independent comic Earlier and it comes back And now that he owns His own company He's like I can do this character And you remember The Savage Dragon cartoon Oh yeah, of course I do Yes Be like This is a great idea It's like all of the Superheroes sort of Wrapped up into one Where they're like He's got all of these powers Oh yeah by the way He's like bright green He's got a fin on his head And then you get uh, Lyfield who does Young Blood Yeah
1: And now uh, Jim Lee At this time Is doing what Wildcat
0: yeah, Jim Lee does his his wild cats. Wild uh, wild cats, right. Which, you know, I, I never really read it. It's Jim Lee, so it's drawn well. Yep. <laughs> you know, that's of the and it's you know, those all come out I think those three come out at the same time and then they move on, you know, and start doing a bunch of other things. The things that you remember from Image comics just throughout their history, not necessarily in the '90s, would be like The Preacher, Walking Dead. They're just finishing up Walking Dead now.
1: Yeah, see, Preacher was incredible. I remember when Preacher first came around and reading some of those, it was it was intense, dude. Like Preacher was intense. Yeah, that's there's there's a not for a young
0: audience. Uh, you get the Kingsman. Yep. Both those movies now from those books, um, Hit Girl and Kick Ass. And this is all image. This is uh, all image stuff. Um, there's that movie I Kill Giants, which you, I'm sure you might have seen the cover for. it. That's based off of an image comic book called I Kill Giants. Uh, Bone, do you remember Bone? I don't remember it. No. Oh, Bone is um, it's, those, it's the it's the little white guys. They're like I don't know. They almost look like uh, those little IKEA figures from Your Directions, uh, and, and it's just. This weird sort of it turned into animated a cartoon. They're from comic, based off of like a comic strip sort of thing. Um, it's weird, but that was another one of the big sellers. Um, let's see, what else do they have from Image Comics? Um, that's all I can think about of the top. Of my well, head. I'll tell
1: you this: they start getting so big that they start getting approached for live action films, like the Spawn film. Um, so in a way, they're almost on the same plane as the Marvels and DCs at that point. They have a, a, a ton of properties that are really doing well, and they also have bigger companies coming to do movies with them, you know? So they it's it's unbelievable how well they did after they left Marvel. You know what I mean? Like, they, like, had a vision. Each one of them kind of had their own little vision, and they took off. And, I, you know, I just... I found that whole thing fascinating. There's a documentary... With Todd McFarlane, I can't remember the name of it, but just look it up. Todd McFarlane documentary, which is tremendous. And it kind of chronicles his rise through Marvel into Image and, you know, all the things that have happened since. Yeah, I mean, really, his big downfall is when he starts buying Mark McGuire baseballs, right?
0: (laughs) Barry Bonds baseballs.
1: Well, his, you know, McFarlane, that guy's a genius. I, I don't care what anybody says. Todd McFarlane is a genius. He's done so much. And then he starts making the toys. He starts making those highly detailed toys that pretty much the market is dominated by them now. All toys are super highly McFarlane-style detailed now. You know what I mean? Like yeah. collector's items. Yeah, 95 points of articulation. Right? Exactly.
0: Teardrops in the eyes, that sort of thing. All right, so you get the independent movement, and then what happens is they sell so many comic books. They start averaging like over 2 million um, books sold, and then people just get tired. Because oh, yeah. people, they, they see this and they like, oh, that's a number one, I'm going to buy it. And, you know, right. And what they're doing is they're putting out varying covers. The lenticulars, the, you know, the embossed ones, the glow-in-the-dark ones, you know, all kinds of weird shit that they're putting out there. And people are buying them going, yeah, no, I, I need four of those so that I can save this one because it's going to be uh, worth as much as Action Comics number one.
1: Well, that but, you know, it's and, and the thing is that the comic companies would act like they weren't at fault for that but they knew exactly what they were doing they were inflating the market and making people believe that these collectors items were going to be collectors items it, it brings you back to superman being killed in 93 94 something like that they kill superman you know we know he's going to come back eventually but they did wait a year before they even brought him back but what they did was they had the collectors books the ones that are in plastic which i still have that black plastic Superman with the blood dripping red Superman sign which is one of the coolest comic book covers I've ever seen. they, they must, I think they sold like three million of those. People were buying them at 10 at a time. This is when the whole collectors market, not just in comic books, but in card collecting and everything else, literally collapsed in you know the mid 90s to the late 90s because they flooded the market with with bullshit. With the variant covers and all that to try to sell more comics to people. And what happened was they ended up getting screwed on it.
0: Yeah, so what happens is people just get tired of it. Right. And so you start seeing uh, a little bit of fatigue in the market. You see movies that are coming out where people are like, yeah, I don't want to go see that. Right. right? You know, you, And they're just not very good. What do, you mean, do we mean the Batman movies? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean like... People don't really go see the crow. They don't see
1: right. Tank Girl. People see the mask, but you, yeah, that idea where it's like, yeah, but the mask was literally only because people were going to see Jim Carrey at the time, one of the biggest stars in the world. You know.
0: Uh, so we we shift into. I mean, really, we're in. We're still in modern age, but 2000s is sort of where comic books change from being a comic book to a once in a while movie to.
1: Movies that come out every year. There's a comic book movie. Franchises. You know, they become franchised in Hollywood. And it really starts with Spider-Man. I mean, I know X-Men came out and X-Men was a good movie. But Spider-Man was one of those Batman movie moments. Everybody went to see Spider-Man. You know, Spider-Man was a a massive hit. And Spider-Man dominated that whole year.
0: Yeah, Spider-Man was huge. X-Men was huge, but X-Men was different. X-Men wasn't... You didn't think of it as a comic book movie per se because it didn't look like a comic book movie. Right. You know, they're all in their black suits and their leather and they're joking about wearing tights. Right. Spider- Whereas in Spider-Man, he's wearing tights. He's
1: legit wearing
0: tights. You know, it's his
1: suit. And, you know, that this is when you get to technology finally catching up to being able to make a Spider-Man type movie. movie. You know, like it can finally look like he's actually, well, kind of, sometimes kind of. look like he's swimming. And you, I mean, swinging, excuse me. Sometimes you go back. Spider-Man 2 which is like 2004, I think, when it came out a couple years later. No, it was 2004. 2002 was Spider-Man 1, 2004, and maybe 2007 on Spider-Man 3. Uh, Spider-Man 3 didn't come out in my world. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But you can tell even by Spider-Man 2, they get even better, and he doesn't look like an elastic floating around in the sky. But comparatively speaking, if you look at Spider-Man 1 and you look at Superman 1 from 78, the difference is insane to what the special effects could do.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, when, when Superman came out, it was tights. Right. You know, when, when Spider-Man
1: comes out, it's CGI. It was. It was mostly CGI, um, and, that, and that's where we get to how now we're in the 2000s, and every big-time movie company is rifling through the catalogs of these comic books to find characters that they can make movies for. You get the Fantastic Four in 2005, which is not very good. No. But they also had a sequel. I mean, it was good enough to make it. it made enough money to get a sequel.
0: Yeah, but everything made enough money. If, if you're the only superhero movie coming out that year, people are going to go see it.
1: And I think that was around 2005 when that came out.
0: And it's not, it was not good. I mean, I, that that was not the highlight of Marvel films right there. It was
1: not, but because in 2005, it was DC's year. And in 2005, they started with the Christopher Nolan trilogy, which uh, is Batman Begins. Which takes Batman even, makes him even more gritty and more real than even the 89 Batmans of Tim Burton. And that starts changing kind of how we see superhero movies and what they can be and what kind of, you know, weaving storylines or different moral things they can come up with to make us feel even deeper about it. He's not just a superhero, he is trying to save a city and uh, there's all this all these these undercurrents um within the movie which is you know christopher nolan did a great job with those batman movies
0: well he took it seriously exactly i mean i think that's the biggest part of it you you treat the source material with some reverence and some uh i guess use it as inspiration and say you know this is what it was what can it be versus something like the fantastic four where it's like
1: yeah, let's just put Michael Chiklis in some LaTeX. Oh my God, I, you know <laughs> that looks terrible. Yeah, I, I haven't seen the the Fantastic Four that came out in the past couple of years. I guess the thing looked better. No, maybe. Uh, yeah, the CGI
0: was much better. Was it? Yeah the the show the movie sucked. I haven't seen the movie. It was the same. It was the same movie, you know. Except this time, you know, Victor Van Doom is a friend. Oh, wait, he was a friend in the first one, too. Like, yeah. why like, can't Doctor
1: Doom just be a badass? Yeah, you know, I don't know. And Doctor Doom was such a badass in the comics. It's it's sad that they can't figure it out. You can always just hold up hope that the Marvel Universe will always make somebody good like they did with Spider-Man, right? Maybe. Uh, so, yeah, so we, you
0: talk about the reverence for the material, and you treat it with respect, and that's what you get when you get the, the, the Dark Knight trilogy. Right. You, you come, come away with three... Really good movies. Not my favorite, but they're still... The movies in, in and of themselves are really good. Well,
1: uh, you know, I really like Batman Begins, and I think The Dark Knight deserves a spot because it's so significant, and it was, you know, it was so incredible. Oh, it's, it's fantastic. The, right.
0: movie, the movie changes um, sort of Batman. Right. And, and allows you to have a character like Keith Ledger's Joker, who was just phenomenal, and it gives you... Yeah, I know part of it is looking at it with hindsight, but it gives um serious actors and actresses i guess you just call them actors now um uh, roles that they can play you know before if you were going to be in a superhero movie you were not an a list celebrity you were not one of the best actors in around and now when someone gets nominated for an academy award it changes it and i think that's what marvel is able to capitalize yeah, on Yeah he now. won right
1: he won for best supporting Yeah posthumously right Yep yeah. yeah he was dead poor bastard but I mean he did he did an amazing job and that leads us you know right after the dark um do oh no, know uh, around the same time it's the same year the Dark Knight and Iron Man come out yeah 2008 right 2008 all of a sudden Marvel takes this you know semi big character and he and the, you know they take him and they make him one of the biggest characters in the Marvel Universe and that's when they release Iron Man in 2008 yeah perfect film Perfect film. I agree. That film is so good. We went and saw it together. We walked out saying, man, that was so fucking good. That movie was so good. Even going back and watching it again, that movie is just so good. And it ends what is it? It ends on back in black you know, at the very end of the movie. It's, oh.
0: And that's really it. I mean, that's what you get. And that's how we got to where we are today is with that Iron Man film. And that it.
1: kicks off, right, the whole marvel universe and dc extended universe type situation that we're in now you know and that's kind of something we'll talk about on another podcast in its own kind of because there's so much to talk about with the marvel universe and you know where superheroes and comic books and hollywood and how pretty much they own hollywood now yeah
0: it's it's really and you know that's that's something that we do definitely need to say for another episode I mean, we could could spend the next three hours talking about it.
1: No, we could. And I just want to quickly, though, before we we, we go out of this podcast, kind of give you my thoughts um, on comic books. Because it's something that when we were kids, you were a nerd if you were into comic books. And it's come full circle now. And I'm sure it was like that, you know, 40, 50 years prior to that, too. But now you're actually cool to be a comic book fan. And Comic-Con conventions are enormous – And you can see so many people with their cosplay and having fun, and it brings people together. So I think, you know, in closing for me, um, comic books are something that I think in some form will always be around. It's obviously going to shift more to digital now because print is kind of, you know, print's done. We just got to realize that print is mostly done. But I think the impact that they'll have on us will continue um, just in different ways and it's, it's done a lot for me in my life. It really has. It's something I latch onto, and I'm glad I got to sit here with you and talk about it today.
0: Yeah, com- same thing for me. Comic books, you know, we grew up at the same time, and me and you were the ones who shared comic book love. You don't share it with your friends. Now it's everywhere. It's so ubiquitous in our pop culture. Right. It's, you know, it's going to the convenience store and, hey, look, there's a Batman thing on the wall. You know, it's tied into our Happy Meals. It's tied into our television You know, our references in TV shows now, our comedies reference things about comic books. You know, it's really everywhere right now. And, uh, and, you know, it'll go away in some some way, but the idea of the comic book as a medium won't go away. It's too impactful. You know, people like the stories that come out of it. And the characters that are in there are so well established and their history is so... Easily obtained by anybody that you can jump into any comic book and continue the story without having to go back and read 70 years or 80 years of history, you know, depending on your character, to know that character. You know, you can watch that first Iron Man movie and get all you need to know about that character. You can watch the same Spider Man movie and get everything that you need to know about that character. my only concern is that as we move forward for these, this medium of movies, for these characters, is that we lose the source material and we jump too far ahead of it. Because all of the stories and all of these movies that we love are all from the comic book. So if people aren't reading the comic book, what's going to happen? We're going to run out of source material. Right.
1: Well, because that, I mean, in a way, all the movies they've made so far have drawn from events that have already happened in the comic books. Yeah, they're pulled directly from the pages. Where will the original ideas come from? I mean, I know there's a, a, a lot of content to draw from because we're talking 70 years of comic books, um, you know, for some of them. But it, it, it's going to be tough. It's, it's going to be interesting to see where things go. Because this will eventually die down. They will not own Hollywood forever. Something else will take its place. I mean, it will still be there, but, you know, it's not going to be like it is right now.
0: Well it's certainly it's not gonna do the Western thing where, you know, it's going, I'm not gonna fat out because comic book movies have been around and they're stories that people connect to. So no, they're not gonna go away. But are we gonna see, you know, ten years worth of films building towards, you know, a penultimate moment where you know like we had with endgame and Avengers. No, I don't I don't know right. if we're gonna see that. I think Marvel has already come out and said they're not gonna do that in the next phase, but
1: but the they idea. didn't do that. That wasn't that that wasn't Really, their plan from the beginning anyway. you know what I mean, it kind of evolved into what it did. It was organic in the way it happened. so that that'll also be interesting to see where they take the Marvel Universe in the future. you know, we will talk about that. We are going to have a whole podcast um in the future about the Marvel Universe. Yeah, so that's our show for today. Thanks for
0: listening. I'm Aaron Jerome. He's uh, what did we say your name once again? I don't know.
1: Um, but I do want to say make sure you like, subscribe. And, um, you know, check out the website, check out our other podcasts, and I hope you guys stick around with us.